Good morning, Christian World Church. I'm Pastor Mark Anthony. I'm excited to share the Word of God with you this morning. And um, we're in a series called Fruition. We're talking about the fruits of the Spirit. And um, typically the last, uh, just to let you know, um, online and in the house, we'll be celebrating uh, communion together at the end of the service today. Uh, Pastor Mark, the last few weeks, has been um, having us hand out fruit as you exit um, the, uh, the, at church. Um, today we will be handing out the fruit of the vine, all right? And so, uh, so that's our fruit takeaway today. Um, so that's how we'll end the service. I saw a shirt that said this. It said, patience is a virtue, but it's not my virtue. <laughs> so we've been in a teaching series called Fruits, Fruit of the Spirit, uh, Fruition, talking about the fruit of the Spirit, found in Galatians 5. In the past three weeks, we've talked about love, joy, peace, and now we're talking about, wait for it, Patience. Now, whether patience is your virtue or not is, is of little concern to me um, because uh, patience is a fruit of the Spirit. And so if, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you're seeking to live a life in the way of Jesus, if you are in step with the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit should be evident in our lives and therefore patience should be a fruit evident in our lives. And so whether patience is your virtue or not, as a Christian, we believe that fruits should be in our life. And one of those fruits is the fruit of the Spirit. And so let's read the passage in Galatians where the writer Paul lists the fruit of the Spirit. And I'm going to start in verse 16 to give more context into what Paul is really saying and trying to teach about. Um, and so here we go. Um, Starting in verse 16, live by the spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the spirit, and what the spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not subject to the law. Now, the works of the flesh are obvious. It's fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. I am warning you, as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. And those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passage and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. So other translations say, let us stay in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, competing against one another, envying one another. And so like I said, as a follower of Jesus, in the way of Jesus, patience is not up for debate. It's not a fruit I'm permitted to leave out. Notice that we are talking about the fruit of the Spirit and not the fruits of the Spirit. It's fruit because all of these attitudes and traits are considered fruit of the Spirit. They're not a pick and choose menu item of fruits that we choose from. It is the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. And so... 
they're not fruits that we pick and choose from. We don't say, I'll be loving and kind, but I will not have any self-control. You can't make me. Right? To be patient with someone, think about it this way. To be patient with someone is moving towards them in love. And it's moving towards them in kindness. And it will require a gentleness and a practice of self-control. Patience is an act of generosity. I'm giving someone something I have. It's my compassion. And it creates a bond of peace between me and the individual. To be patient is to be faithful to God. So you see how all of these traits, characteristics, behaviors, attitudes, they work together to become the fruit of the spirit. Our modern world here in the United States conditions us to not be patient. With other people, with ourselves, with God, we do not have a naturally patient culture. It's easy to begin to think that because we may not look too dissimilar from some of the spaces that we exist in, our lack of patience is not a large offense, right? Because we may look around and say, well, we live in a pretty impatient world. And because we don't, you know, look too dissimilar, and we may begin to think, well, you know, is impatience really all that bad? Everyone gets impatient, right? It's not a big deal. It's not as, being impatient is not as big of a deal of not being loving, not having peace, those are like the really important ones, right? Love, joy, peace, they came first. Patience is like, well, if you can, after being loving and all these things. And so I think it's worth highlighting and it's, and it's worth confessing this morning the impatient tendencies inside of us. Because as followers in the way of Jesus, our lives, ideally, should be marked by spirit of patience, as was Jesus' life. Now, is this easy? Goodness, no. <laughs> Absolutely not. Like we said, this way of living, it's radically different from our world, and it's in complete opposition to our flesh. Now, patience, what do we mean when we say this word? Right? There's probably all sorts of different behaviors, themes that come to mind when we talk about patience. And so when we're using this word in this context, what are we explaining? What are we trying to um, live into? The New Testament in our Bibles was written largely in the Greek language. And so the Greek has two words that our English translations will read or render as patience oftentimes. Uh, the Greek word used here in Galatians chapter 5 is macrothemia. Macrothemia. And the King James Version of the Bible does a really good job, I believe, at translating this word. Because if you have a King James Version of the Bible, um, this word macrothemia won't be patience. You'll see it as long-suffering, right? The New International Version would say forbearance, right? And so, but other translations say patience. And so I like the word long-suffering. Macrothemia, it's two words in the Greek combined together. So you have the word macros and you have the word thumos, all right? So macros and thumos, okay? Um, and so macro would mean long, okay, so it's long. And then thumos is anger, it's swelling emotions, okay? And so when you combine these two words together, you have this long, 
anger, this long swelling emotions. Combined, essentially, it means long suffering. You take a long time to blow up, right, or lash out in anger, right? So using the word patience is, is fitting, um, you know, but we have to keep in mind what we really mean by patience. It's, it, it, in context, it's a very relational word, right? It's involving our ability to not just lash out towards other people, right? And so I really like um, uh, Tim Keller. He has an incredible outline of all the fruits of the Spirit. And, um, but, and for patience, he has these helpful definitions. And so um, biblically, the definition of patience could be rendered this way. The ability to take trouble from others or life without blowing up, right? So the definition, patience, ability to take trouble from others or life without blowing up. Now, what, what would be, if we wanted to look at the opposite of patience, and this helps us define patience even, even further in this context. So the opposite of this word, makrothumos, in this context would be, the opposite of patience would be resentment toward God and toward others, right? So resentment toward God and towards others, opposite of patience. And the counterfeit of patience is cynicism, it's self-righteousness, it's saying, this is too small to be bothered about, right? It's, it's an indifference, right? So that's counterfeit patience. So we have what patience is, and we're saying that patience is an ability to take trouble from others in life without blowing up. We're saying the opposite of this kind of patience that God invites us to be into is resentment towards God, is resentment towards other people. And, and the counterfeit, like the fake patience that some of us wear at times it's cynicism. It's self-righteousness. This is too small to be, it's indifference. It's like, it's apathy. And so patience as a fruit of the spirit is to suffer without lashing out. When there is pressure on us or wrong done towards us or we experience injustice, we are tempted to lash out. And to lash out is to reach the end of your patience, Right? And so what does lashing out look like? Well, obviously, one way it could look like is hitting somebody, right? We lash out with our hands. You see this on display, um, obviously, with toddlers, right? Snatch a toy from a toddler and find out real quick, you know what I mean? They'll rear, rear their arm back, you know? And so I've caught a couple left hooks uh, from my kids over the years, and, you know, that'll test your patience, um, and so when they lose their patience, they might lose my patience. And so we kindly uh, correct those, those behaviors. Um, but let's be honest, adults, we've seen people come to blows, right? And so we lose our, we come to, and we lash out maybe with our fists. But maybe you're like, listen, I'm not a violent person. I don't use my, I've never put my hands on somebody and knocked it out. So that means I'm kind of patient. Well, let's think about another way that we lash out in our anger with our tongues, right? So maybe it's not our fists, but we lash out with our tongues. And so um, it, it's the same, right? It's the same. It's the same as, as, as coming to blows our fists. We're still, we're, we have reached the end of our patience and we're now lashing out with our words is what we're saying, right? And so we're backbiting and, or we're grumbling or, or we're talking about somebody behind their back. And, um, and so with our, with our, with our words, we're inflicting pain against somebody and hurt. And sometimes that could be worse than even um, using your hands. And so but maybe you're saying, hey, listen, I have enough self-control not 
to lash out with my fists and to keep my mouth shut. But how do you lash out? Do you lash out in your heart? And so maybe you're saying, I got my hands under control. I got my tongue under control. But where is your heart when you reach the end of your patience? You may lash out in your heart in silence towards someone. And what this does in our hearts, it's like, ah, I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to swing on them. I'm not going to say what I want to say. But I'm going to brood in my heart towards them. And what happens is your heart becomes sick. And mentally, you just get eaten up. So here's how impatience will just thrust us right into sin. Something happens, an injustice. And, and, and maybe we don't lash out right away, but we become angry inside because nothing has been done yet to right the wrong done to us. We become dissatisfied with the timeline our situation is on. We lose our patience and we decide to act out, not with our fists, not with our words, right? But maybe in our hearts, we begin to self-pity. And self-pity just creates the breeding ground for all sorts of bad behaviors, we ultimately maybe resent God because of his lack of intervention into our situation. And remember, the opposite of patience is resentment towards God and towards others. Our impatience brings us to a place where we declare that our timeline is correct. Our idea of vengeance is the right one. And our desired outcome is the right one. And when we do this, we can run the risk of dethroning God and exalting ourselves as Lord and King over our situation. And impatience says, I am in charge and I determine outcomes. God serves my desired needs, right? Do this and do it now, God. And it may seem a bit harsh, but if we think about where our heart goes in these seasons of impatience and these times of wrongdoing, we have to confront how we may set our heart against God, how we may set our heart against other people. And as followers of Jesus, we're called to humbly confess and confront these tendencies within us to wall ourselves off to others and towards God. And this is not an easy task before us. Patience positions us to trust in a God who is all-knowing and who is all-powerful. Patience is a defiant act towards our own will and our desire for gratification. James 5, chapter 7 through 11. I mean, chapter 5, verse 7 through 11. Be patient, therefore, beloved, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious crop from the earth, being patient with it until it receives the yearly and the late rains. And in verse 8, of James chapter 5, it says this, you also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Beloved, hear this, do not grumble against one another so that you may not be judged. See, the judge is standing at the doors as an example of suffering and patience, beloved. Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord Indeed, we call blessed those who show endurance. You have heard of the endurance of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. 
So do we trust that God is compassionate? God is merciful. This passage of scripture, James writes, and he uses this idea of a farmer. The farmer waits not just for the yearly rain, but also for the later rain uh, before he harvests the crops. And so we don't want to be so impatient and eager to lash out that we pull up the crop before it's time, right? And so it's this idea of, no, no, I'm going to wait, not just for the early rain, but for the later rain, because I'm going to wait for a crop that's coming in a timing that's not based off of my own desired outcome. I'm not going to try to go ahead and, and, and get out ahead of God. And so our patience with God directly affects our patience with other people. If we cannot be patient with God, we can't expect to be patient with other people. And now, as we talk about this, you may think, am I supposed to just be a doormat? Like, like are you saying that like patience is just this like strange ability to pretend like nothing's wrong when something is clearly wrong? Do I, is this this kind of noble thing that Jesus talks about turning the other cheek? Like, like what do we, when we're talking about patience in this context, you could begin to feel like I'm just supposed to take it, right? Like I'm, I'm supposed to pretend like this doesn't bother me. And so as mentioned earlier, a counterfeit to patience is indifference. It's the idea of oh, I don't care, um, that, that doesn't bother me. And indifference, listen to me, is, it's a form of hatred, Indifference is a form of hatred. Patience does not belittle or deny wrongdoing. A patient person can still be angry, all right? Can still be angry. Can still feel like, hey, that's not okay. A patient person um, can still be angry. We often mistake people as patient who are actually just apathetic or don't care, and indifference is just, it's just as hurtful or unjust. And maybe, maybe we have pretended to be, and we've, we've caught this like false religion that just sort of says, oh, I, I, in order maybe to protect yourself, maybe this is what happens is, is you just sort of shut down and say, well, I'm just not going to let it bother me. I'm going to pretend like I don't care. And then that way people can't hurt me. Maybe because you've been hurt. Maybe because you, you, you've experienced this and you have lashed out. And you're just like, well, I don't want to lash out again. And so in, in, instead of, because you, you, you maybe lashed out against somebody and you experienced that and you don't want to do that again. It's like, well, let me just like shut it all down, right? And so I'll just sort of bottle it all up and I'll just be indifferent. And I just won't care. And both of these things are not how God intended us to live. It's not how Jesus moved here on the earth. To lash out or to just be indifferent. Maybe to be cynical. Maybe to have some sort of superiority um, that we carry. Maybe to pretend like, oh, this is too small to be bothered about. No, it's okay. It's okay to be bothered. It's okay to be angry, upset, disappointed. But what are we going to do are we going to allow ourselves just to quickly move to lashing out, quickly moving to getting out ahead of God, to, to declaring that I, I know what's best and I know the desired outcome, so I will inflict my will upon this situation? Or will we go to God 
but we have a long suffering. See, a patient follower of Jesus will confront someone who is hurting them, who is hurting themselves, who is hurting others. It would be an listen to me, it would be an act of kindness to do so. It's the loving thing to do to confront someone who is hurting you, who is hurting themselves, who is hurting others. How you confront someone determines your patience. Do you lash out in anger? Do you grumble? Are you seeking to even the score? Do you have an idea of vengeance that you have to see come to fruition? Or do you respond in love, hoping to establish a bond of peace and create opportunities for forgiveness, for reconciliation, for repentance? Is my rebuke coming from a patient heart? Practically ask yourself this, what is the tone of my voice as I speak to somebody? Am I asking, and let's step on some toes, am I asking rhetorical questions? That's how you know on a small scale that you're being impatient with somebody, right? Why did you do this, right? It's like, come on, don't, don't ask a question that you're not really wanting an answer to. A patient heart asks questions genuinely seeking to understand. An impatient heart asks questions already having an understanding in mind. And so we have to keep our love on. We have to be gentle. We have to practice self-control. There's a faithfulness on display. There's a generosity that this requires of us because we're going to have to give up something of ourselves. And it's probably going to cost us something to be patient. But I'm hoping that it will produce a peace. I'm hoping that it will produce a joy that far outweighs the difficulty that I may have to endure to suffer long in this situation with this person. God, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't, why did you give me this boss? Why am I still in this situation? Why is this so hard? Why will this person never understand? When will my situation change, right? Ask those questions to God. But let's not lash out. Let's not get out ahead. Let's not force God's hand. Let's not be so moved in our anger that we just, we, we just bottle it up and then just turn it into resentment and bitterness and our heart becomes sick and mentally we just become so frustrated. Stanley Gale says this, patience is not merely a social grace. It is a driving force for us growing in the character of the vine. And so I want to zoom out for just a moment as we begin to conclude today and speak not just about patience, but about the fruit of the Spirit as a whole. Because, you know, we're, we're trying to learn how to cultivate patience, and so we're trying to learn how to cultivate the fruit of the Spirit. Jesus did many miracles, many miracles, but as we study his teaching, especially the Sermon on the Mount, we find that Jesus taught that there's something more meaningful than the, than, than the miracles. There's something greater than the spectacular. And we see how humans are judged not just by what they do, but by who they are. By their fruit, you shall know them, is what Jesus says. I was really blessed to um, go through um, some books uh, of somebody, Pastor Bill Ligon, 
um, was offloading some books, and I said, please let me go through these books and see if there's anything that I'd like to grab a hold of. And I have a, uh, several shelves now of some of Pastor Bill's old books. And so when I was looking at Fruit of the Spirit, I just thought, man, I wonder if Pastor Bill had a book about these. And I found a book called Fruits of the Spirit. And, um, and so in his book, Fruits of the Spirit, Ron Hembry writes this. He says, miracles can be imitated. The fruit of the Spirit can never be imitated. It is what a person is, not what he does. The fruit of the Spirit is what a person is, not just what he does. Miracles, signs, wonders, we need them. We must pursue them. Jesus did. But the fruit of the Spirit is what sustains us as Christians, as a church, as a move of God. And so Jesus had a life of character that accompanied his signs and wonders. The things that he did were backed by who he was. And so as we look at having patience, as we look at having a fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, we're getting down to who we are as people on, an, on a foundational level. This is deeply confronting. It's incredibly unsettling for me. Because I have to grow in the fruit of the Spirit. I have to deal with my character on a fundamental level. And I can easily attempt to mask my lack of fruit with good deeds. I can mask who I really am by, with, with, with just doing works. Or I may address my lack of fruit by trying to will myself into being patient, joyful, loving, gentle. Ah. So how do we cultivate patience? How do we cultivate fruit of the Spirit? However you became a Christian, whether through just immediate conversion, just quick, boom, all of a sudden, or maybe it was a slow burn, right? You know, like God was just really leading you to this place of repentance and following him. There is baggage. There's flaws in our character that we carry. There's problems that linger. And we may ask this question, why am I still dealing with this? All right, like why am I still dealing with that? I should be able to pray and this just goes away, right? That's what would be ideal. And we begin to maybe feel like a bad Christian. And maybe as we're talking about impatience today, you're like, man, I'm a pretty bad Christian. I'm not very, I'm not very patient. I'm kind of like the world. Just pretty quick to lash out, you know? And so... In verse 22 of Galatians, I love this, and it's what we're talking about. Paul just gives this incredible metaphor. He talks about these, these attitudes being, being a fruit of the Spirit. And so when we think about fruit, we have to think about this um, through the understanding of, of how fruit comes about in our lives. Um, so, you know, those of you who are experienced in this, the audience that Paul would have written to surely would have. But think about this concept of gardening. Right, those of you who have who have cultivated and, and built incredible gardens, maybe at your home, you understand that there there is there's work to be done. Right? Anybody ever say like, ah, oh, we're going to start a garden, and you get out there and you're just like, what have I done? Right? You you like you dug up some like 
some, some, some ground for it, and you're like, okay, that's all I got. That's it. That's the most this garden's going. Next year, next year, we're going we're gonna to pull the weeds. And then the year after that, I might get to planting some seeds. But we're just going to take this one year at a time, one step. It's, a, it's work. It's a lot of work. Um, because, you know, you, you're preparing the ground. And there's things that you have to do, and, and, and you're planting seeds. And then it's not just, like, okay, cool, seeds in the ground. See a seed. Check in on you, you know, a couple months. Let me know when you've got some fruit, right? Go back in the house and just forget about it. It's not a set it and forget it kind of situation. No, there's this constant check and there's watering that has to be done. Those weeds that you pulled, they're still coming back. Still coming back. It's like, I thought I pulled you. What are you doing still here? So you're pulling them, you're pulling them, you're pulling them. And then you get all these weeds pulled and you're watering and all this stuff. And then you're just like, what is getting in and chewing up and eating these crops. My goodness. You know what I mean? It's like, Lord, I love animals, but not whatever this animal is. And so then you're just like, okay, well, now i got to get a little fence, you know, keep, you know, whatever varmint's trying to get in. And so you're, you're, it's, a, it's a skill that you develop. And hopefully on the other end, there is a crop, there's a harvest that comes from this. And now you have to ask yourself this question. These tomatoes that you planted, right? Did you grow those those tomatoes or potatoes or whatever it is? Did you grow them? It, it, It would be tempting to say yes. It would be tempting to say yes. But no, you didn't grow them. You created an environment for that tomato to grow, right? It would be easy for us to get a little self-righteous in our Christian journey. I did this. I am so great at being a Christian. Right? You know, at, at, when we look at fruit of the Spirit, them being evident in our life, we are creating an environment for the Spirit of God to grow His character and nature into our lives. And so... Think about all the things that are out of your control. There are things that you can't control in the gardening, growing process, but there are things out of your control, right? There's this whole process of photosynthesis that I, I do nothing. You know what I mean? Like that is, that, is, that is the plant at work. And so our role is crucial, but we're not the ones growing, doing the growing, but we can hinder the growth of the fruit. We can ignore, we can just let weeds grow, we can forget to water. We cannot protect our crop, right? Our, we can hinder growth in our life. And spiritually, this is true. So Paul uses this metaphor to talk about change in our life. There's an outside influence that wants to intervene, something outside of ourselves, and it's the Spirit of God. And so I could be a longtime Christian marked by the Spirit of God, but not walk in the Spirit, step in step with the Spirit, right? I can tell you guys, hey, I got a garden at home. And it goes like, Mark, nothing's growing here, buddy. There's nothing growing out there. You have not been tending that garden. And so we think about our lives as Christians, and this is the challenge. This is, this is the invitation to, to, to carry our cross, to walk with God. It's, it's walking in step. We, if we live by the Spirit, we stay in step with the Spirit. If we live in the Spirit, we're guided by the Spirit. And so we have... We have Two natures. That's why I read Galatians 16 all the way through. There's these deeds of the flesh. There's these things 
at work inside of us. Some, some translations render, instead of flesh, they say sinful nature, right? The works of the sinful nature, right? And so there's these things at, at work in us. And, and, and so there's these two, we, we have a foot in both worlds here, right? Spirit and flesh, they're in conflict. And I have to garden or else the flesh will destroy. Galatians 5, 24. Those who belong to Christ. Those who belong to Christ in Galatians chapter 5. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. Let's look at Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, if we back up a couple pages, right? To, to really look at what we're doing here, what this process is, what it means for us. And again, we're zooming all the way out so that we can then zoom back in to figure out how to have patience. Chapter two, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God for if justification comes to the law, then Christ died for nothing. And so I live not as a human trying to pull myself up by my bootstraps to be moral. No, I believe in Jesus and the cross Stand. I have a foot in flesh and I have a foot in spirit and the cross stands in the middle reconciling me to God. And it's my trust and my faith and my belief in the work that Jesus did on the cross and his resurrection that calls me to a place that I say I crucify this flesh and it's no longer I who live and there is now a spirit living on the inside of me speaking good news to me. I, if I believe in Jesus, then what is true of Jesus is true of me. I live with God's spirit in me and his spirit is speaking good news to me. And this is how I cultivate fruit, by the gospel working itself out in my life, the Spirit speaking good news to me. A renowned Dutch painter by the name Rembrandt was asked when, his, when, when is a painting completed? When's a painting finished? And he said this, a painting is complete when it expresses the intent of the artist. A painting is complete when it expresses the intent of the artist. The fruit of the Spirit displayed in our lives the ones that Jesus displayed here on the earth, they express the intent of our master artist. And so, by grace, I am a painting in a faithful process of expressing my creator's intent. And the master artist is working in me and through me to express his glory and his beauty here in the earth we call it fruit of the spirit. And so likely there's some things and some people out of your control, right? There's some circumstances that you're just hitting on a day-to-day -day basis, small ones and big ones. I'll give you an example of a small one. My son Oliver um, is really having to have his patience just completely dismantled and crucified most days. We have a five-seat SUV. There are five of us, okay? And so on our back row, we've got Esme, two years old, Oliver, our big guy in the middle, six years old, and then on Oliver's right, 
we have Theo five months old, right? And I mean, like, y'all, I, I was, we, we, we've been really trying to, like, make this car last as long as we can. We're a one-car family, just really trying to be, like, as frugal as possible. And so, you know, we're just trying to make this car work. And I got those car seats just to fit. You know what I mean? Like, they are in there, and there's no other room, okay? And so our back seats loaded down, Esme, Oliver, and Theo. And so if you guys think that the Chick-fil-A drive-thru is annoying, uh, try being a five-month-old, okay? Theo has no interest for it whatsoever. I mean, he's just like, y'all aren't even getting food for me. Why am I sitting here? And, um, and so he, I mean, and it doesn't even take that. It's just sometimes it's just, you know, I just don't even want to be here or I'm upset, right? And so a five-month-old, there's patience is, you know, it's just like, hey, I need something. I need it now. I'm telling you about it. And so he's going, rah, 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 rah. And your parents have been there, right? You're just like, oh, gosh, the trauma is coming back up. You know, it's like, rah, 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 rah. And then Esme, she has found her voice as a two-year-old, right? Like she has found it. And she's singing, twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are. You know, and she's just like going, you know, or maybe if Theo's crying, she's trying to be helpful from the other side of the car, you know, and she's singing, rock a baby in the treetop. And this leaves my precious six-year-old Oliver, who is very much kind of like a quiet guy. Like he kind of like, you know, is more likes to keep to himself a little bit. You know, like he gets pretty overstimulated pretty fast uh, to just like fully just, he's getting assaulted on both sides. And he's just like, quiet, you know, like quiet. And I mean, like he's losing, I mean, and it gets so much. I mean, he reaches the end of his patience immediately. And then, of course, like, me and Anna are up front, and we're just like, dude, we're right there with you. Like, we're done. Like, we're all done. And there's not an ounce of patience in the car. And so, um, and so it's difficult, right? And so we're like, Oliver, Oliver, we got, we're, we're just waiting on the green light. We're just waiting on the green light. As soon as the car goes, then maybe Theo will start crying. And, and, and hey, buddy, trust us. Hey, let Esme, let us talk to Esme, right? Because he wants to lash out. And at Esme, he's like, be quiet, you know? And he's like, upset at Theo, be quiet, Right? And uh, he wants to take matters into his own hands. We're like, hey, buddy, let's breathe. <gasps> breathe. Breathe. It's okay. It's okay. Let us talk to Esme. Hey, Es, now's not the time to sing. We'll sing later, right? Now, here, here's Theo's passy. Oliver, will you give it to him just ever so gently, right? So we're trying to, like, practice. We're trying to cultivate, create an environment where patience may, may break forth, right? It's an incredibly unfair situation for him, right? But it's, it's an opportunity to... Get dirty, right? To learn how to suffer long. And, um, but think about it. You're maybe stuck between a two-year-old and a five-month-old yourself in your situation. And you're just like, be quiet. Shut it now, right? And what God's asking you to do is say, hey, dad, will you please help Esme be quiet? Dad, is there anything we can do for Theo, right? Can we please stop going to Chick-fil-A? Like, is there anything? Can we only take routes that don't involve red lights? Just all right turns to wherever we go, you know what I mean, where there's no stopping. So God's asking you to seek him, to say, God, how can I endure this moment of suffering, this situation of difficulty, We got to take it to God in prayer. 
if we're going to last. I want to ask you guys to sing this with me. There's a hymn that just, I think, ministers this. All right? As we sing, let this be the invitation. What a friend we have, Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Verse 2 goes like this. Have we trials and temptations? I've got a couple. Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful? Who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. So we're going to pass out communion. And... um, as we do, the worship team is going to lead us in a song. And we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. And before they pass it out, I just want to pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to be here today in your presence, God, reflecting Jesus. God, we're in this space right now, Lord, not as condemned people, Lord, but as people who have been bought with the blood of Jesus. And so it's our desire to move towards you, God, in grace, to boldly approach you because we have this confidence in Jesus today. And so whatever we may feel as though we lack, we pick up in you today, Jesus, and approach you now. And God, as we reflect, we trust you. In your name we pray.